Hi, and welcome to the Talking Tenants podcast with me, John Joe O'Hara. Today on the show, we have Sean Creedy. Sean's a really interesting young guy with an impressive background in entrepreneurship, sales, and products who I've been really interested to chat with. He spent the last six years in the startup space working across Tel Aviv, San Francisco, France, and Sydney, raising money from venture capital firms, including Startmate and Blackbird, and building his own company alongside others that he's worked for. His sweet spots are growing businesses from idea to product and building the team and processes from first sales call to the first 30 customers. His own businesses, sellanything.io and Lightning Products, are aimed at supporting job seekers and startup founders alike in how to sell their products and themselves. Hope you enjoy it. All right, Sean, thank you very much for uh, coming to have a chat with us. I've been looking forward to this to um, to get you on for a chat. So thank you. Thanks, John Joe. Yeah, stoked to be here. So your background is really interesting. You've um, spent a lot of time in entrepreneurship, of course, sales and product, which is a pretty unique set of skills, I must say. Tell us about your background as much as you can, your entry into a sales role as well as entrepreneurship, and now what you're doing in terms of helping others be able to sell themselves, but also um, sell product. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, my sales and customer experience is uh, timeline is over seven years. So, essentially, started in high end retail sales. So, in cycling, selling bikes, anywhere from two grand up to you know twelve thousand a pop. Um, and I was always in denial that sales is where I wanted to to work. If I'm honest, I always saw myself doing something different. Uh, but it is my natural best tendency and skill set. Um, I started, I've had two startups. So started a food tech company in 2016, uh, built that out. So I did everything from zero to one on the products. That means for people listening, going from the idea on paper to a working product that people can use and managed to partner with some of the biggest food influencers in Australia, raise a seed around a 250K, uh, left that business and started a company called Mint which is an aged care uh, comms and feedback tool for older and vulnerable people and aged care providers built around my grandfather, staying connected to him while he was in a nursing home. And yeah, once again, went from zero to one on the product, but I also did 100K in pre-product sales, which is kind of one of the things I'm known for. So essentially what that means is we hadn't built the product yet, but I managed to get that revenue in the door and scaled the business from zero to five employees. Uh, COVID new to the business and... I uh, still makes 4K a month, but from there, I went on to actually be employed. So went and worked as an AE and then as a growth manager in a Melbourne tech company taking products to market. Yeah, and wow. now, so I guess now from there, I'm, I'm helping businesses go to market strategy. I've worked with 25 companies in the last 90 days and I'm helping job seekers land their dream job in SaaS or in software as a service sales. And I've helped four job seekers so far over the last seven weeks. Yeah, wow, really unique background. And so perhaps this is similar to your own journey as well, but what is it um, that some of these people you're working with, what are they looking to gain or attain from a career in tech? Why is it that they're looking to work in tech? Yeah, so the reason they're looking to tech is, so I work with two groups of people, industry transitioners. So these are people who have been doing sales in a different market, let's say a physical product or door-to-door brick and mortar. 
and they're looking to jump into something that has a bit more lifestyle opportunity or growth. Growth's probably the biggest part of it for the industry transitioner. Uh, Sarah, as an example, is one of my, who just finished the program. You know, she's got eight years of B2B sales experience and account management experience, but is looking for that next step and sales uh, in software brings that excitement. The other part is the, the, the early stage reps. So looking for SDR or AE roles and everyone's chasing flexibility. So working from home in some hybrid model, the pay is obviously outstanding. Uh, you know, you can be jumping into starting salary of 75K plus commission and really that, that tech influence. So people love, a lot of people going to businesses where they already use the product, let's say Canva or Notion, and they want to be a part of, even DocuSign actually, but they just want to be a part of the journey uh, and sell something they love to use themselves. And that bridge to get their transition candidates you talked about, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a, a bridge there to get into tech sales and ramp up so that they perhaps reach the equivalent level that they're at in terms of experience in non-tech. It's often a pushback. You know, being a sales leader yourself, there's a pushback um, based on ramp time. So often these people have to take a, a step back, potentially. <clears throat> how do people transitioning, how do they manage that objection in terms of we need somebody that can ramp up quite quickly on product? Yeah, that's a great question and one of the biggest challenges. I actually face this myself as well. And that's why I love what I'm doing. So when I was going from being a business owner to an individual contributor, the jack of all trades was a big issue for me. Uh, so a lot of people, uh, what we do is we narrow in on maybe an industry specific where they can be worth what they think they're worth. So let's say as a, so they have to go back to being an SDR or a, a first grade AE. Uh, we might look at, uh, and they want to be earning over 100K. We might go to an industry they know a lot about, let's say viticulture. And we look for a tech tech company where they can just slot in. They know the market. They may even have a network and they can start selling so that their, their ramping can be quicker. The other way as well is upskilling them. So during our program, uh, one of the biggest challenges a lot of them have is understanding how to do proper sales discovery over the phone. So we actually teach this and role play it and how to have an impactful sales demo and understand how to break down a product. So the gap is often either the individual sales skill set or the technology and product knowledge. So we embed both into the people we're working with. And end of the day, you have to look at the long game, right? So I went, I, I dropped down from earning over 100 grand in my own business to an 80K first role as an account exec. Uh, but 12 months later, I was on 130K base. And the way I was able to do that was high perform. Uh, I had more skill sets than just an individual contributor. And I essentially use the startup leapfrog tactic, which is one of my favorites, which is you go to you go to an early stage business where you get more responsibility, you build systems, learn more things, ideally perform really well, and then you can transition back into potentially uh, like a scaled company or a more reputable business and use your now knowledge to set yourself at a, a higher a higher rank of income. If that, that yeah. Those, absolutely. And I do give the same advice to people I speak with who've been high performers in other industries outside tech. Also, if if you're not able to take such a haircut on, on your earnings, which is, of course, difficult, um, some people can, some people can't, to attain the most relative or um, 
to 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 gain a salary or earnings that are not such a haircut really you want to lean on your industry experience as much as possible and i think um sometimes people don't want to be um segmented or boxed into a particular industry for instance if they come from real estate they don't only want to work in real estate software and they perhaps feel like they've been pushed towards that industry but the fact is um there is a premium on the industry you've worked in based on your intimate knowledge of those stakeholders the people you're selling to your contact book to an extent and that does separate it that does give you a competitive edge so my advice would be as you've alluded to go and look and see if you can find a relevant tech that's that's um, providing solutions in an industry you already know yeah the Oh, glad we see the same same thing, John Joe. And mm. I did that when I transitioned out of my company. So although the company still runs and makes money, uh, I went and looked at healthcare because I was in aged care. So in that market, I was worth at least 40 grand more than I was in, uh, let's say, selling a CRM. So mm. if I was selling a CRM, say I was working in HubSpot and it was just SMB sales, I didn't have a lot of experience with small to medium businesses and dealing with business owners. But selling at enterprise to aged care providers, that was something I'd done a lot of, um, or even cycling for me, you know, leaning really far back into my industry experience. I could chat, I could walk the walk and talk the talk. So going and working for, say, Bike Exchange, which is a software product for uh, business owners, might have been where I could have directed myself. And we have an exercise that we do, I think, in week three of the program with the students who come through as well. And so for those people that maybe don't go to relevant industry product and like yourself, they're happy to take a, a short-term sideways step. What is it from your experience as sales, leader, sales leaders um, are worried about in terms of that ramp? You mentioned discovery calls. Why is it that sales leaders might feel that the ramp is going to be too large if somebody not coming from a software product background? Yeah, so love that question. The Biggest pushback, so let's say a lot of the interaction with prospects, so businesses you're trying to sell to, are not face-to-face. So if you've been in face-to-face sales or longer sales cycles where you know you wear a suit and tie every day and you go and meet people at events or there's already an established business network, uh, you might be, as a, an account exec, in charge of new business lines and you have to do all the prospecting yourself. So you need to understand how to find people on LinkedIn, as an example, or how to uh, get them to book a meeting over an email and do that on their own accord. The other one really with the discovery, and this is one that I know HubSpot, Echo, uh, and a few other businesses look for, is like how do you live in discovery? So how do you actually qualify when you're cold calling someone that they should be buying from you and they're the right fit? But then also how do you learn enough about their business and their pains that they attend the event? So an event in software as a service sales is generally a sales demo and that you can then, once again, you have enough information about them to have an effective sales meeting and make sure that they see value in your product that you're going to solve a problem for them, get onboarded and start using it. Because it's a big ask, right? If you can't do great discovery with a a business you're selling to, why are they going to invest the time to uh, purchase your product and potentially put their their whole business or a part of their team into your software as well? Interesting. So if I understand correctly, there's not necessarily a, a worry that the energy cadence level um, level of outcomes might be there. It's more a case of this person might come in and be spinning the wheels because they've got lots of energy. They're doing lots of lots of work, lots of outputs, but ultimately they're not 
able to qualify whether it's a good customer or whether it is the right customer versus in their previous business, anybody could be a good customer because it's a bit more transactional. Is that fair? Yeah, correct. And because it's high volume as well, you're dealing with lots of people. So you need to even be comfortable in the daily routine of, all right, first thing I do is I look at who I'm potentially calling back or following up today, new prospects. I open the CRM that we use. Let's say it's HubSpot. I get my lead list or they might be using an Airtable lead list. I don't know. It depends on the business. And they have to know that this is what they're doing. So if they're interviewing and they don't understand that they are potentially sitting at a computer and um, reaching out to these businesses, having amazing conversations with these uh, companies and then putting them, logging the data in HubSpot as an example, setting the meeting up, and then maybe later in the day, they're running sales demos. If they don't understand that, firstly, that's what the job might look like. And secondly, that uh, or know the language as well around software, it's going to be a bit of an issue to get through the job interview um, is one of the biggest pushbacks. So if you can't talk the language and be relatable, how can they expect you to blend into the team and then also perform in the day-to-day role? And in an organization, a software organization, if a person did come in without those basics, who's responsible for managing that ramp up? Where does that time allocation come from? Yeah, so ideally it's the hiring manager. I'm One of the things I'm really passionate about is helping different people, like either in my program or outside with free content and just advice over LinkedIn. Super happy to talk to people about like where to start because the, uh, so when I'm, been a hiring manager, so I've built a go-to-market team uh, twice now for SaaS companies. I, with new hires, I've actually looked for people I can who are fresh, actually don't have bad habits, so that I can mold them to how I like to run things. But I, as the hiring manager, had to spend, you know, let's say, fourteen hours a week training these two new account execs how to how to cold call, how to do discovery, use the software, do sales demos, and they had to shadow me in all my sales meetings. It's a lot of time. Like they weren't ramped, probably took three months to ramp them, I would say, till they were running by themselves. So someone looking to get a, a new a new job has to understand that the hiring manager is investing a lot of time in you. So you have to be really coachable and deal well with feedback or changes in your own processes. Like if you have eight years of sales experience, that's great. But this business might have a proven process and you need to be ready to adjust to what you're boss or hiring manager is saying works because they know that works right so what can prospective or aspiring um transitioners or people looking to get into uh, tech sales um what can they do and i liken this to what you're doing sean liken it to perhaps a pre-season in sports so how do they do the initial groundwork the foundation so that once they get to an interview process what have, what have they done already to to um get themselves ready yeah, no, I love this. So my favorite number one thing if I was looking to get a job somewhere was I would pretend to be a customer and go through the customer journey. So I would inquire, let's say to HubSpot, I would inquire about becoming a, a HubSpot user. I would book a sales meeting. I would pretend I have a business and I would be taken through, you know, I'd, I'd request a two-week trial and I'd get taken through that process. Let's say I was going to Aircall, I would do the same thing. So the best way to learn about what they do is get them to show you how they do it before you even get 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 to the front door. You already know what they're cooking in the kitchen. Um, you can from from that experience as well. You can look at keywords they use. You can objection handle, so you can see how they objection handle. You could pretend to be a customer and find like ten good questions. You know, make them up like, 
oh, what is it? What's pricing? How do we get started? What if we want a longer trial? You know, do all the things that a customer might do um, and build a relationship and some rapport with that person, even trying to understand the mechanics of the business. So like, oh, you know, it says you're it says you're an account executive. What does that mean? What does your day look like? How many of these meetings do you have? Am I the first meeting for the day or am I number five? You know, and get to know the person. So this is a bit cheeky, but it's what I would do. Um, the other one as well is I would look at things like spin selling. So from a framework's respect, I'd get familiar with spin selling and the Bant framework, as well as challenger methodology. So when you're dealing with different decision makers in sales, especially often they're business owners or executives, you need to be ready to have a framework to learn things, but also understand how to challenge decision-making and your resume um, needs to be data-driven. So this is the biggest gap I see is people are applying for roles and they have zero data about what they've done previously. As an example, like, you know, John, you have a very impressive background. You could tell me that you've started your new business and you could probably list out how many clients you've had through, how many successful placements, the whole, the whole list. But if you just wrote, oh, I built a company and we help people get great jobs which is what a lot of people's resumes read like. How do I know that you're a superstar who I should be, you know, signing on to join my team? I don't. So communicating with data. And then the final one I would probably say is use more software. So actually be really uh, specific about the software you use. So I would personally go and sign up to Notion. Like a lot of these SaaS companies use Notion as an internal operating system and learn how Notion works and get a feel for it. If you can use Notion and you can talk about even building a pretend website in Notion, because that's what Notion is, you create a page, instant launches a website, you you just got some interesting stories to talk about. Yeah, fantastic. <clears throat> that that approach would be amazing. I'm sure would um, certainly help people win roles. Perhaps more aligned to, if you don't mind me saying, somebody with more maturity, they would have the confidence to go and run through a um a demo with somebody purely for practice reasons and they might have some details on the cv to give some data on but to if we go through an example of somebody that's a grad so don't perhaps have the maturity to go and do what you've talked to then they don't have anything on their cv really that alludes to sales but you and i know that they've they've got some smarts and they could be very strong how do they portray from their cv or their initial conversation, anything, how do they portray um, something that's going to get them past the gatekeeper without any any of those things that you mentioned? Love that question. Yeah. So firstly, as an early, like, let's say if you got an SDR role, so sales development rep or a business development rep role starting out, it's all about repetition. So you need to somehow communicate that you, you can even say this, right, is I'm looking to get into uh, software as a service sales into SaaS because I love technology. I love talking to people and building relationships and money excites me. Um, although I don't have any experience at the moment in this, I have worked in customer service and potentially this other role. Um, and I'm, re- I'm very coachable. So signal, signal is really important with hiring managers. The word coachable is often looked for on a hiring checklist. Like, can I coach this person to be a winner? Communicate how you learn as well. So, you know, if uh, sales always seems to be talking in, in sports language, I don't know what it is, but, you know, it might be, you know, I love being coached. And if you have, if you have the playbook, I'll do the repetitions of running it and you tell me how to be better each time. Mm. And the other one is probably more on the skills, right? So actually learn what 
say, spin or band selling is, like frameworks, um, go and understand what the day of an SDR looks like. Just Google it. What is what is? And there's some great stuff on YouTube of like the day in the life of a sales development rep. Understand what a sales pipeline is. Understand what prospecting is. Understand what a leads list is. You need to go and basically know the terminology to blend in. Um, but for the resume respect, I would just be trying to communicate as well as possible that I'm coachable. I'm keen to do the repetitions. I'm hungry to kick doors in and, and make help this business make money. Um, and that I'm just a good guy, that I'm interesting outside of work. Like on my resume, I always have something like, you know, I, I love doing free diving, so like snorkeling, and I love doing Muay Thai as an example, which one of my job interviews um, two years ago, all I spoke to my hiring manager about was martial arts for the first 15 minutes. He did jiu-jitsu, I did Muay Thai. We, we bonded over martial arts and he was like, cool. I know I want to have a beer with this guy. He seems really nice and I get along with him. Now let's just see what his work ethic's like. Um, yeah. Got it. I, um, I'm really, I'm really learning to the repetition uh, anecdote you give there, Sean. Can you talk us, talk to us a bit more about that, the reps? Yeah. So sales is a, is a numbers game, which people say a lot, but what does that actually mean? Uh, you might be doing 50 outbound calls or 50 types of prospecting engagement a day, whether it's LinkedIn messaging or emailing. And you have to be confident that putting the reps in will get you the outcome. Like if you're in the gym, let's say, and you're working your way up to benching 100 kilos, you have to be confident or, or know if a PT gives you a program, a coach, you know, gives you a program that says, if you do this over the next two years, which you might be training chest twice a week, these three exercises, uh, eight to 12 reps are set, incrementally moving the weight up, that you're going to bench 100 kilos by this time. You need to, by doing the reps in sales, you need to be confident that if you do 50 outbound calls a day, you're going to book two sales meetings and you know you book 10 a week, you have a 50% conversion rate from demo to trial, then you might have another 50% conversion rate from trial to paying customer. And you have to just accept that that's the reality of the work and that if you just stick to the process and you don't derail from it, the numbers fall out the bottom. So um, that's one thing I've always seen new reps struggle with is they don't hit a purple patch. They get a lot of pushback in that first month and they're struggling to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But if you're working with other reps, like ask for advice as well, you know, uh, sorry, sales reps, not reps as in do the repetitions, um, you see that they get the outcomes, you know that that's what you need to put in. So you need to just do the calling reps, do the emailing reps, and and it'll happen. Yeah, it's a brilliant anecdote. I really like that, actually. And that's what I'd look for. I'm looking, um, if I was to hire somebody, I'm looking for perhaps call it resilience, call it outcomes, but reps really sums it up really well. So um, I think the playbook, uh, this preseason playbook is is brilliant because I often talk to aspiring SCRs about, you know, showing that you're, you're interested and you've got energy and that that's great. And that's part of the way there. But what, what we often find is it gets to the finish line and the sales leader needs, needs a little bit more confidence and assurance that, okay, great. You know, they're excited. They've got energy. They've got some competitive values or it might be, but this playbook then is <clears throat> show them that you've done the reps um, and then show uh, show them um, something that you're interested outside of, outside of work, just to gain some early rapport. And there's also some more tangible things that you can go and do to understand what an SDR does day to day, what their product does, what the objections are, that process you talk through. There's a real tangible um, set of playbook metrics that these people can go and do 
and bring to the interview that's going to give something alongside just being, you know, ready to to sell the sales leader on the fact that you are going to be able to do the work. You're going to do the reps as much as you say, look, I'll do the reps. You need to show that you've done some reps to um to get your foot in the door. 100%. And you could be doing this with the job interview process as well, right? So one thing we have is a, a sales pipeline for job prospecting. So basically the lessons we're learning through the program is you should run your 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 hiring process getting hired like it's a it's a it's a deal pipeline like put the links you know build a spreadsheet for prospecting put all the links to the jobs you're going for put the stages you're up to in the process your learnings why you didn't get that job even maybe show this to a hiring manager like hey although I haven't had a sales job yet I'm running this like a, a proper sales funnel do you want to see you know and maybe change the data on the jobs you're going for and the salaries that are listed so you don't uh, you know, show someone how cheap or how you know you lose your negotiating power, but give them give them some uh, some vision or some excitement about how maybe even you're just going for the job. And that's absolutely true. If you if you um, expand that out to enterprise reps, um, this is what I do every day. You see the same people that join the most revered startups, the most revered Forbes, Cloud One Hundred vendors, time and again. Is it that those businesses just have great recruitment process and they can tap on the same shoulders every time? Kind of. But what's more likely is that the very best reps run their career like a sales opportunity and they know which opportunities they qualify the right opportunities. And then when they when they qualify it and they know which opportunity is the right one, they go and win that opportunity. That that's what happens. So that that analogy about training like a sales pipeline is absolutely true. And if you do that um at the start and you've already, you know, you're already starting to think about it that way. And that's a really, really um great way to to kick off. Um, really love it. I think there's really some um tangible things, and it might be interesting for us to put together some some notes in in the podcast. Um in the podcast list here, just as to what we talked about, some directions for aspiring tech sellers. But of course, there's a whole um playbook and that you that you use with the people you work with. And there's a whole program that you can go through. So we will certainly direct people to come through and talk to yourself about what you're doing, Sean, so that they can be part of that program if they're interested for people looking to transition or to get into us into tech. Um, they should certainly be talking to yourself um as the first first part of that pre-season i wanted to take the second part of the the, the conversation to talk about the, the startup work you do so you do a lot of work with australian startups who are looking to um build a sales team start selling for the first first time even and we talked a bit to this a little bit off, offline what's the state of australian startups and and sales how they're viewing sales right now yeah, this is this is my bread and butter. So, uh, for for more context as well, so my company actually went through Australia's number one accelerator program. An accelerator program is basically where you get given investment, so capital, got capital from Blackbird and Startmate, and uh, you get partnered with mentors, some of the best people from around Australia who've built amazing companies. Um, the Australian ecosystem at the moment, startup ecosystem, is really exciting. Like there's amazing companies that are growing. We're seeing that next generation of companies come through as well. So let's say Atlassian, you know, Cannon Brooks and Farquhar, they started, they built Atlassian, this huge company. Now they've built amazing talent who are now coming out and building the next generation of Aussie companies. 
So there's this, this new generational aspect coming to it. The sale, the sales side of it is uh, founders are kind of three people, right? So there's someone who had a problem they really wanted to solve and they didn't know how to solve it, but they just went and chased the issue. That's what I am, right? So with my grandfather communicating with him, I just was a dog with a bone on solving that issue. Then we have the industry experts. So they've been in a market for a long time. They understand a problem really well and they go and chase solving that problem from the industry expertise. And then uh, the third type is we have these product-focused people who understand, like they just love building and they're going out and they're building technology to solve certain problems they may not yet understand, but they're going to work their way to getting people to pay for it. So they breed different types of founders. And one of the biggest things that's happened is there's uh, non-sales background founders is really common. It's like a product-first approach. So I know how to build software or I'm an expert in this problem. And the founder is doing the sales. So the, the, the process for a company in its transitions is it starts out small and the founder leads the sales process. So there's no real process. It's a gut feel. They might already be networks and they're going out and just making deals. They get their first deals in and their revenue, the team builds. They often raise some money and then they go, okay, we need to ramp sales and they look to hire. So what's happening at the moment and with the companies I'm working with is they get stuck in this position where they are not a sales background founder and they haven't built a scalable or repeatable sales process. So they're going to look for a sales rep. They might hire an SDR, but the SDR needs, as an example, a process to follow, but there just isn't one. So I've been helping people build that. Or alternatively, they're hiring an account executive and they're doing like a 60-40 split on, on target earnings. But what they really need is a sales builder. So instead of hiring someone who's just there focused on hunting, they actually need someone who can build the building blocks to make the process to then go and hire the hunters. Um, and this is this is a lot of the work I do is over kind of two, two to three months, I help this business, these businesses build a repeatable uh, and scalable sales process so that they then can bring in either upskill an internal team member to be focused on that process that we know works or go and hire someone. So, but uh, to close out, the startup ecosystem is really healthy and there's some amazing companies people should be going and working at. And what's the biggest challenge that those product-led companies are finding when they look to go and build out their sales team initially? They don't know who they should hire. So they, you know, they do some research and they think it's an account executive, but they're actually, often the incentivization model is completely wrong as well. So, and you've probably seen this a lot. Jondra, I would say, um, but they're looking at 60-40 splits, right? So some of the jobs I interviewed for, it was 60-40 splits, but when I broke down what I'm doing in the week, I'm only on outbound activity for two days and the process for selling isn't proven yet, so my commission isn't proven. So instead of overgearing on commission, maybe it's bring down the OTE, but actually increase, as an example, the base salary. This is what I did. This is what I negotiated in one of my roles. Mm. Um, the other part of it is they need to sit down and work out like who do I actually need even if you go and interview senior as a startup founder interview senior roles and get the the person you're interviewing to tell you back to yourself how they would set up a sales process or how they might work in the business it can probably give you a good idea of what you need um, but like do you need someone top of funnel just prospecting and bringing deals in for the founder to close or do you need someone both top of funnel and middle of funnel. So they're going out and prospecting, building relationships, doing the sales demo. 
then they're handing over to customer success or are they 360? So do you need someone who's more of a nurturer, who's happy to hunt, but then can nurture the deal through? Um, because often people bring in hunters because that's what you need, right? You need someone who's going to just bring in leads, but then there's no one to actually onboard the customer potentially or activate them to make them super successful. So you need this blended 360 role. Yeah, great. And, and I think the main thing is, yeah, understanding exactly what you need. And that, that takes some time, I think, for startups coming to market to decide they want to hire sales the first time. So it's a little bit of a suck it and see. It takes some time and it can be a little bit exhausting that process. What One thing I found is um, perhaps a disconnect between founders and sales often, which is perhaps a little bit more historical, maybe not these days you can talk to it, but perhaps they, yeah, they'll come to, to me and they'd say, look, we really need a hunter BDM. And, and when I hear that, I often think, okay, so what's in play now? You know, what process did you have in play? What's your pipeline look like? And it's often we want somebody to come in and bring all their contacts, do everything, and then, you know, that's sales and we'll pay. And they're often not paying enough to do that either. Well, number one, is there a, a different approach? Do you think there's a different approach from founders towards sales? Is that a little bit more um, aligned now? <clears throat> and if not, how do you bridge that gap to get founders to think more about how valuable sales people are to the journey? Yeah, I, I would say the state of play is still similar. It depends on the business and how much they know, right? So uh, for question one, um, I think it's yeah really about asking yourself, should I be hiring a salesperson or should I stay with founder-led sales? And then when I'm so overworked, I bring in a salesperson and I have a process that works too. So should I just go and get another tech support person and maybe even a marketing person and I just stay as the founder-led sales? Um, the other one as well is, once again, do I need a hunter or do I need just someone who's going to figure the problem out? So if I'm testing different sales processes, you might get someone who, well, let's say you're doing different channels, Uh you might, instead of getting just a hunter who wants to be like, this is the game plan, go do it. You want to get someone who's happy to tinker with the process. And I love your question about like, okay, what does this current state of play look like? A lot of these businesses don't even have a leads list. So they don't even know who their ideal client profile is yet. If you can't tell me who your ideal client profile is, how do you know that I'm the right person to hire if you want my connections? Like, Let's say you want my aged care connections. And you think that aged care is actually the space. I, I interviewed for a place that it turned out NDIS was the market. So the disability market, very different to aged care. I don't, I can't tell you how funding works in NDIS. I can explain it in aged care though. Um, so they need to be more considerate and probably have their first playbook potentially outlined uh, or just hire someone who's a bit more expensive who can actually tell you what you're missing and what you need to do. Um, Sorry, what was the what was the second part of that question? I missed. Uh, yeah, missed that what, what can what are you talking to founders about if there is a disconnect with what salespeople should be paid um, as part of bringing on that business, and how do you marry the two together so that founders become, um, I suppose, more open to salespeople being part of that journey and being paid at market rate? Yeah, the market rate. So. Um, obviously, with startups as well, we need to remember that you do often get ESOP. So equity share options do vest. And that is probably the biggest lever that businesses can pull 
to get the right person in. Um, looking for that right person, I think there's some some key things that need to be addressed, right? So who is our ideal client profile? How do we find them? Why do we find them that way? How accessible are they that way? Can we repeat this process or deal? And then if we're just chasing revenue, do we need someone who can actually just upsell our existing clients? So the easiest way to obviously bring more money in is to sell back to the people you already have in the business. So whether you're selling them more of your services or licenses, as an example, or is it custom feature development? Um, getting to the market rate salary is a bit of a game. It's quite hard, like just being being blunt. Uh, I've interviewed, like as an example, I interviewed at a few places where they're offering probably 30% less than what I am at market rate. But I really liked the journey. I really liked the business. And as the first sales hire, I knew that I get to build the team, the next people who get hired, uh, and I get to put my name to something. So you might actually take your salary to discount, get some equity for a year or two, but you know that you've then gone and done all these things, which makes you worth like double your current pay. So I jumped from an 80K base to 130K base in less than 12 months by just what I'd learned and achieved working in someone else's business. Um, I did have a bit of an unfair advantage running my own company and knowing some processes, but for a sales rep, they should they should actually be considering more than current state of income. There's a lot more benefits to being in a business. It's almost an apprenticeship actually as well in how to run a company or build a business. Like you get to see, most founders are really transparent. So you get to see how fundraising works. You get to understand product better. Um, you can build relationships with product managers or engineers. And if you then went to, uh, say HubSpot or Canva or one of these big scale-ups like Aircall's blowing up in Australia at the moment, you have all these different things to talk about in a hiring process that make you more interesting and attractive. Absolutely. Sean, and um, finally, as we uh, get towards the end, one thing I always want to ask um, people who come on the show, what are your own tenants? So I've got two. Uh, one is no glass jaw. I carried a lot of ego for too long and I was working with very intelligent people and I wasn't accepting their advice or even just a customer pushback. Like ask yourself, why did that even upset me? What was wrong? Why was that pushback? How can be better? And then doing the reps. I spoke about reps before, but that's probably the biggest and the main tenet for me is getting into sales is just about doing the reps and understanding you just need to make the calls, do the meetings and run software demos. Like run them in your own time, run them with clients, run them internally get really comfortable with repetition and uh, from that, understand the data. So I'm always looking once I start doing the reps is what, are this, what is the data that I'm producing? So understanding how to read my conversion rates, how I'm performing, uh, what actually, you know, why did I do better on this day than that day? And, you know, was it in training, it might be food that you ate or you had a bit of honey before you went into the session. So you got this rush of sugar. It might've been my mood. Like I might've pregame, my calling with listening to ASAP Rocky, praise the Lord, as an example. That's one of my my rituals before I call um, and gives me good energy and I'm standing up. Like even I was standing up today instead of sitting down. So yeah, that would be my, my and advice and tenets. What have you found has been the result with your no glass jaw mantra? It's Well, that's actually a part of my coachability thing. I say that loud. So when I work with new teams, so I'm working with a client in the Bay Area at the moment and I met they go to market team. And I said, look, guys, no glass jaw. If you don't like how I'm working on something or you have a different opinion or you don't like this process I'm creating, you tell me. 
I want to know because I need to get better. Um, and yeah, I find that's really helpful or with being hired. I, I think it's really important that you say to a hiring manager, like, obviously don't be rude, but be really direct with me. Like you did this, I need you to do that. You did this, I need you to do that. You're, you've got typos in your emails, install Grammarly, like as a very clear, not, hey, could you please make sure your punctuation is good or better mm. in an email? Yeah. Like, tell me exactly what you want me to do and how I could be better tomorrow. So that's the direct feedback to yourself. So not taking that um, with your own ego. Is there another part to it? Bearing in mind your experience, you're working with startups who don't have the knowledge that you have. And sometimes I'm sure you're thinking, you're not listening to what I'm saying and you don't get it. Um, perhaps that's, is, is there also a part of it where you, your no glass jaw ego is about you taking you, your own ego out of that process and just understanding it for what it is. Maybe I'm, you know, perhaps speaking in more about myself, but is that part of it as well? Yeah, I, I, that's a great, a great shout. I definitely agree with that. It's, I would describe the work I do as methodical and not emotional. Mm. So I'm not saying that your current sales process is bad. I'm saying that this market, based on the data that we've just created and now know, seems to prefer being approached in this way. So if you want to increase your conversion rate, this is the thing that is working best. Let's pause that thing. Like let's say it's a calling scripts or process as an example. Um, and let's introduce this one that I've just proven works. As yeah. So yes, I think it I think it goes both ways. And the non-emotional part is, you know, like as a founder, and I did this, you attach your personal value and worth to your business. So when you're working with a startup or you're getting hired by one, you really need to understand that. Someone is sharing themselves with you. Like that sounds a little a little weird, but it's something that they work a lot of unpaid hours on and have spent an obscene amount of time thinking about. So you need to be considerate of that. You're not sometimes you're not actually just talking about a process or giving feedback on a product. You're just you're actually giving the person feels like you're talking about them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> Sean, it's been great to chat to you. You bring so much knowledge and a real level of authenticity, which is, I, th I think, um, you of course blowing up and you've got lots of people coming to you for advice. So, um, I think you're doing great work out there, particularly for the uh, people looking to get into tech sales. The, you know, the, the knowledge and advice you're providing, providing is invaluable. And the fact, um, it has in common with people I like to talk to on the show is it's um it's it's tangible. There are some real insights that people can take from this conversation and go and help them to uh, build a career in tech sales. So lastly, if um people are interested in getting into tech sales or they're a co-founder founder um that want to talk to you and get some advice, how do they go about connecting with you or getting more info from you? Yeah, so uh, contact me on LinkedIn is the easiest way. So my name on LinkedIn is S-E-A-N-G-R-E-A-L-Y, Sean Greeley. Uh, and I'm the founder of Sell Anything. So sellanything.io. Our website is very basic. You can just contact me at the moment. That's because I've been too busy with clients. Uh, but yeah, the two, two service offers again are uh, working with businesses on go-to-market and sales and then helping uh, people either transition into SaaS sales or get their first role. And that's a four to seven week program. Uh, and it really, yeah, had two successful participants so far. One of our first client got a job within two weeks of finishing the program over four weeks uh, using our best approach. So we'd love to help people, even if you just want some advice or to be pointed in the right direction. I have some time set aside on my Fridays. It's about an hour and a half of my time where I meet with people 
who are not in a position to pay for services. Um, I'm a, a lot of people helped me while I was trying to get a job and build my company. And it, it's really important to me that I pay that forward as well because um, I understand what it's like. That's brilliant. I love that. Sean, thanks again. And thank you, John. Yeah, amazing podcast. And I look forward to listening to all the future ones. Appreciate it. Thanks, Cheers, again, Sean.